It is nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT on 100.1 FM. It is your public radio station broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska, where we are experiencing a light to medium rain, 40 degrees Fahrenheit right now. Out at the airport, they are showing 93% humidity. North winds to 13, gusting to 21, and 8 miles of visibility. Look for rain for the rest of the day and tonight, and rain is likely tomorrow as well. Coming up on the Midday Report, the Tanner Crab fleet in Kodiak is standing down in the face of prices they say are inadequate. ABL Space Systems is still investigating what caused its rocket to explode on Tuesday afternoon. And Anchorage Assembly leaders want Mayor Dave Bronson to respond to allegations made against him by a recently fired municipal manager, Amy Demboski. Those stories and more after national headlines. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Biden will deliver the annual State of the Union address to Congress on February 7th by invitation from the new Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Here's NPR's Windsor Johnston. The annual address will give President Biden the opportunity to lay out his plans for the remainder of his four-year term. He's likely to tout what his administration has accomplished so far, including the bipartisan infrastructure law that he signed last year. Now that the House has flipped back to Republican control, the administration is likely to face a number of roadblocks in trying to advance the remaining items on its legislative agenda. NPR's Windsor Johnson reporting. Meanwhile, the Biden administration facing a federal investigation after confidential documents were found at President Biden's Delaware home in a former office. That's prompted Attorney General Merrick Garland to appoint Robert Hur, a former federal prosecutor nominated during the Trump administration to serve as special counsel overseeing this probe. Trump is also the target of a separate investigation into the handling of documents found at his estate in Florida. Storm-related tragedies continue in California, where authorities have now identified the body of a 43-year-old woman who drowned after her vehicle was apparently swept off a rural road in wine country. Mark Albert of member station KRCB has details. Divers found Daphne Fontino's body still in her vehicle beneath about 10 feet of water in a vineyard 100 yards off the road, according to the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. Her husband, Mark, is struggling to come to terms. It's uh, like a nightmare for me, and I haven't came to reality yet that this actually uh, occurred because in my mind right now that she's going to be driving home and knocking on the front door. A medical transport driver, Fontino, was on her way to pick up a patient Tuesday. In a call to 911, Fontino told emergency dispatchers water had reached the hood and was entering the passenger compartment before the call dropped. For NPR News, I'm Mark Albert. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen wrote to congressional leaders today urging them to quickly raise the federal debt limit. Here's NPR's Scott Horsley. 
Yellen told lawmakers she expects the government to start bumping up against its $31 trillion debt limit by the end of next week. The Treasury Department can then use extraordinary measures to buy time, but not indefinitely. Unless Congress acts, the government could exhaust its borrowing authority entirely by this summer, meaning it would be unable to pay all the bills that Congress has already run up. Raising the debt limit is always politically fraught, and House Republicans have said they intend to demand concessions, such as spending cuts, in exchange for doing so. Even coming close to a default can be costly. Brinkmanship over the debt limit in 2011 led to a downgrade of the government's credit rating for the first time in history. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. This is NPR News. NPR News is presentada a usted en parte por la Providence Kodiak Island Centro de Asoramiento. Para una cita o más información, por favor llama al 907-481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. Kodiak's biggest tanner crab fishery in nearly 40 years is set to open on Sunday, but the fleet is standing down. Fishermen say they won't go fishing for the prices offered by local canneries. At K as KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports, it's the latest wrinkle in a winter fishing season already impacted by closures and strikes. Processors in Kodiak offered $2.50 per pound for tanners when negotiations started earlier this month. Kevin Abina is the secretary and treasurer for the Kodiak Crab Alliance Cooperative, which represents about 120 permit holders in the fishery. He says since then, all of Kodiak's canneries haven't budged from their initial price. We haven't been given anything to consider. $2.50 isn't a number that we'll consider. Last year, fishermen were paid a record of more than $8 per pound. The tanner crab fishery was closed in 2021, but back in 2020, prices were still more than $4. This year's harvest levels for the Kodiak fishery are the biggest they've been in nearly 40 years, at 5.8 million pounds. That's more than five times the size of last year's quota. Combined with the fisheries in Chignik and the South Peninsula, 7.3 million pounds total of tanners are up for grabs in the westward region. Last year, the State Department of Fish and Game estimates the Kodiak region alone was worth over $1.2 million. The big quota this year also means more boats are participating. Last year, 87 vessels fished for tanners. This year, 109 were registered as of Friday morning. That includes some Bering Sea crabbers whose seasons have been canceled because of crashing snow crab and king crab populations. Abina says some processors out west have been offering around $4 for tanner crabs. That doesn't help the local fleet, though, most of whom can't make the trip out the chain. And it doesn't help the community, which collects municipal taxes off of seafood landings. This is a community deal. Everybody in the fleet has spent a lot of money on getting ready to do this fishery. Everybody has invested money. Abina declined to call it a strike, but the action is similar to a strike in another fishery earlier this year. Bering Sea fishermen successfully pushed up the price per pound for Pacific cod after striking. Abina says the entire fleet, including fishermen in Chignik and the South District, is holding out until local processors offer better prices. The feeling of unity is, is really strong, and it's, uh, it's pretty special. It's hard to get a, get a diverse group like we have here on board. Everybody has things that they want to move on to after crab. Some boats go cod fishing, some boats go dragging for pollock, some guys will be going right into black cod. When reached by phone Friday morning, Pacific Seafoods had no comment. Other processors could not be reached. The cooperative's next meeting with permit holders is Saturday. Abina says if they get the right price, the soonest they'd go fishing is Monday, a day after the scheduled opener. 
In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. ABL Space Systems says it's still investigating what caused its RS-1 rocket to crash shortly after liftoff on Tuesday afternoon. The California-based aerospace company said all nine of the rocket's engines failed shortly after liftoff. The rocket was destroyed upon impact near the launch pad. A spokesperson for the company said via email that Fossil Beach and the launch site will remain closed to the public while the Federal Aviation Administration's mishap investigation is ongoing. The spokesperson said they expected it would be complete, quote, in a few more days, close quote. At least one building near the impact point was damaged during Tuesday's crash and subsequent fire, according to the company. And ABL and the spaceport complex will begin repair work on the facilities in the coming weeks. Tuesday would have been the company's first successful launch. ABL has been working out of Kodiak's Pacific Spaceport Complex on Narrow Cape since this summer. Anchorage Assembly leaders say they want Mayor Dave Bronson to publicly respond to scathing allegations made against him by recently fired municipal manager Amy Demboski. An attorney for Demboski issued an 11-page demand letter on Wednesday calling her firing retaliatory and illegal. The letter also accuses Bronson of numerous, quote, legal and ethical lapses, close quote, involving issues with contracting, creating a work environment rife with sexism, and other, quote, unlawful and unethical activities using municipal resources. Assembly Chair Suzanne LaFrance calls the allegations shocking. The concerns are certainly... Uh, wide-ranging, I mean, from procurement code to the use of municipal resources um, to personnel matters. I mean, there are a lot of areas that are troubling. LaFrance and Assembly Vice Chair Chris Constant issued a written statement on Thursday in response to the allegations, describing them as, quote, a level of mis- uh, a level of mismanagement of municipal resources that we have not seen in our tenure on the assembly. Close quote. Officials with Bronson's office have so far declined to comment on the allegations. A spokesman for the mayor said the city attorney's office has advised them not to discuss the issue because it relates to a potential litigation matter. The France says the mayor hasn't commented on the allegations to the assembly either. She thinks Bronson needs to publicly address the issues. I believe that the community is owed an explanation, and especially since there is no litigation pending right now, um, this is the time for the mayor to address the community directly and explain what is going on in the administration. LaFrance notes that many of the letter's allegations fall outside the Assembly's purview. The body is charged with lawmaking and managing city spending. However, at a committee meeting on Thursday, assembly members said they plan to meet soon to review all of their legal options. Also, LaFrance says the body is considering hiring a consultant to review the section of city code relating to purchasing and contracts. They also want to improve the assembly's budget analysts' access to the city's finances. LaFrance and Constant are calling on any municipal employees with concerns of, quote, further improprieties, close quote to reach out to the Municipal Ombudsman's office. 
For almost 20 years, Senator Bert Stedman has represented much of southeast Alaska in the state legislature. District A includes the communities of Ketchikan, Wrangell, Petersburg, and Sitka, and several smaller towns in between. The next legislative session begins Tuesday. For the 11th year, Stedman will co-chair the Senate Finance Committee. He'll oversee efforts to create a multi-billion dollar operating budget. There's a lot on the table. One recurring issue is the Alaska Permanent Fund. Stedman told Coast Alaska's Angela Denning that the state needs to balance its long-term fiscal health against its ability to pay large permanent fund dividends. I believe it's not the individual dividend that creates the problem. It's when you combine everybody's dividend together, we don't have the cash. So we're going to talk about that and try to come up with how, how we can rewrite the formula and make some adjustments and see how that goes. But clearly there's no math model that I've ever seen that shows that we can afford to not change that dividend formula. So what I'm hearing is that maybe instead of looking for new revenue and more money, maybe looking at what the state is already getting now. Well, there is support by some legislators to impose income tax or sales tax across the state and pay it out as dividends. But you're just taking it from people that are working and spreading it out. That doesn't make any sense. I think it's unlikely we're going to pass a statewide tax, an income tax or a sales tax. Well, one of the big budget items for the operating budget that you see is for the Alaska Marine Highway System. Uh, you know, Southeast and other coastal areas have not been satisfied with the lack of ferry service in recent years. I'm wondering what the legislature can do about that. What are your thoughts? Because Governor Dunleavy's administration has vetoed millions in ferry funding in his first four years in office. So he's going to be around for another four years. What would you like to see this year? Well, let's not forget that the legislature is the appropriators. But the governor has a line item veto on appropriations, and it's the strongest veto protection of any governor in the country. It takes three-quarters vote in the legislature to overturn an appropriation veto. So unless you can overturn his veto, which is unlikely, uh, he could set that level of funding to, frankly, any level he wants. He has a very strong hand in some of the budget negotiations that take place. So I'll work yeah. with the governor to try to um, restructure the marine highway uh, the best we can from you know our position on the coast. But not all legislators are supportive of the marine highway. And there's fewer and fewer of us on the coast relative to the rail belt. So it, it is a challenge. Um, on the positive side, you know, we've got a, some federal funding that Lisa Murkowski uh, structured in an appropriation bill here several months ago. And there's $200 million a year for ferry systems. But we're not the only one that qualifies the state. So we're still sorting through that to figure out how much the state's going to actually get, when it's going to arrive, and then how to split it between operating costs and capital costs. So that, that's a positive. But my goal is to make sure the Marine Highway still is in existence four years from now. South Peninsula Hospital launched a 
pilot CNA training program Monday to combat the certified nurse assistant shortage on the Lower Kenai Peninsula. The five-week in-house training is funded partially through a state program called Earn and Learn. Other communities like Kodiak and Soldatna are also participating. KBBI's Hope McKinney reports. The first cohort for the Earn and Learn model includes five people who will be compensated during their education. In exchange for the paid training, South Peninsula Hospital spokesperson Dorotha Ferrero says participants will be obligated to one year of employment at the hospital. At the end of the five weeks, they will be able to take a state CNA licensing exam and hopefully all of them will pass and um, become certified CNAs and begin employment immediately. Rachel Kincaid is chief nursing officer at the hospital. She says a CNA's job is one of the most important roles on the healthcare team. A CNA is often at the bedside the longest. They often gain the most trust from patients and caregivers. In the long-term care setting, a certified nursing assistant really has a front row seat to the resident's daily routine, and therefore they are the first to notice any changes in condition or any issues that need to be reported to the nurse. So I really can't uh, overstate how important a CNA's role is in the hospital. Kincaid says CNAs often go on to become nurses or pursue other careers in healthcare. That's why she thinks it's so important to build a local talent pipeline for anyone interested in the field. Nationwide, hospitals have lost up to 25% of staff, and Kincaid says that's largely due to burnout from the COVID-19 pandemic. And so because of that, I think it's important now more than ever to consider creative solutions. What would it look like to think outside of the box? Kincaid says the hospital has historically hired between 10 and 20 CNAs a year, but that they could easily hire 30. But this time we have fewer than 10 contracted CNAs on staff. That means when their contracts end, they're travelers. They're going to hopefully find another gig somewhere else in the country and, and go or come on permanently with us. The new in-house CNA training, along with the hospital's RN tuition assistance program with Catchmack Bay Campus, aim to fill empty positions at the hospital. For the nursing program, the hospital covers 100% of tuition payments for hospital employees who decide to pursue their associate's degree in nursing. Five employees are enrolled this semester. They have to make a three-year commitment to work for South Peninsula Hospital after they graduate. In response to workforce shortages, hospitals around the country often turn to short-term contractors to fill openings. Demand for traveling nurses increased by 35% in 2020, largely due to the pandemic, with experts projecting the trend to continue. Our need is simply outpacing, at this point, our ability to produce licensed CNAs. And so that's why we're trying to add this extra layer to also address some of the burnout, um, the just changes in the nursing world and workforce in a post-pandemic homer. The provisional in-house CNA program was approved for two years when the state will then evaluate the program's effectiveness. Kincaid says she hopes this five-week training session is the first of many. The hospital hopes to offer another session starting in June. For those interested in becoming a certified nursing assistant, there's still space available in the Catchmack Bay campus class. Classes begin January 26th and scholarship opportunities are available. Reporting in Homer, I'm Hope McKenney. Mixed fourth quarter results from major banks. I'm Novasafo with a Marketplace Minute. In the final three months of the year, J.P. Morgan Chase beat estimates with a 6% profit increase, 2% for Bank of America, 
Citigroup's profits declined 21 percent and Wells Fargo's halved. Overall, higher interest rates brought more income. Other areas, such as investment banking, slowed. The bank stockpiled $4 billion of additional cash for a potential economic downturn. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon, who last year predicted an economic hurricane, said the forecast now is for a mild recession. In its results, Delta reported still robust travel demand. The airline posted more than $800 million in quarterly profits, though that's still less than before the pandemic. I'm Nova Safo with the Marketplace Minute. Tiene curiosidad sobre el desarrollo de su hijo, el programa de aprendizaje infantil de Cana, Head Start the Rural Cap y el Distrito Escolar de Kodiak Island Borough están ofreciendo una evaluación basada en el juego sin costo para niños recién nacidos hasta los 5 años, el 4 de febrero de 10 a.m. a 2 p.m. en la Escuela Primaria East. Puedes programar una cita llamando al 907-486-7574. Se prefieren citas, pero se aceptarán visitas sin previo aviso. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to your Island Messenger for Friday. It is the 13th day of January, the year 2023. The sun rose at 9.43 this morning. It'll set again at 4.53 this afternoon. That will give us seven hours and nine minutes of glorious daylight, a gain of three minutes and four seconds compared to yesterday. The record high for this date was 52 degrees, set in 1940. And the record low is 2 degrees set in 1921. Currently, a relatively warm 40 degrees outside under a light rain fog mist. Fairly gray outside. Looks kind of Friday the 13th-ish. Out at the airport, they are showing 93% humidity. Only 4 miles of visibility right now. Northerly winds to 13 miles per hour. The Weather Service is expecting this rain to continue for this afternoon and tonight at least, and it's likely to go on until about noon tomorrow as well. Northeast winds today about 15 knots, gusting to 20. Turning to the east tonight to 15. And for tomorrow, look for calm winds turning to the southeast to 5 tomorrow afternoon. Looking at our local tides, we have an outgoing tide. Oh, strike that. The tide just turned here on the east side at 11.48 this morning. That was a 2.7-foot tide. Our next high tide will be at 5.34 this afternoon of 6.6 feet, followed by a low tide at 11.50 p.m. of 1.4 feet here on the east side. Over on the west side, your tide just turned. Our low tide is right now. It's a 4.1-foot tide in Larson Bay followed by a high tide at 6.11 this evening of 11 feet, and your low tide for just after midnight will be at 12.19 a.m. and be 2.4 feet in Larson Bay. Mariners, here's your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side. 
Small craft advisory through Saturday. For today, northeast 25 seas to 9 feet. For tonight, east 20, becoming variable 15 after midnight, seas to 9 feet. And for tomorrow, variable 10 in the morning, becoming south 15, seas to 10 feet. For Saturday night, they are talking about southerly winds to 30 knots, seas to 9 feet. For Sunday, southeast 30, seas to 16 feet. And for Monday, Southwest 30 seas to 12 feet, coming up to 16 feet on Tuesday. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, small craft advisory through Saturday. Northeast 30 today in the Shelikoff seas to 9 feet. For tonight, northeast 30 seas to 8 feet. And for tomorrow on our west side, northeast 25 becoming east 15 in the afternoon. Seas 6 feet subsiding to 4 feet tomorrow afternoon. For Sunday, east 30 seas to 9 feet. In the Shelikoff, Monday, northeast 20, seas to 5 feet. The Galley Tables Storyboard is sorry to announce that this month's Galley Tables has been canceled due to a lack of storytellers. The next Galley Tables will be in March, so start getting those stories together right now. And remember, you can sign up to tell a story at any time at galleytables.com. Or send them an email to galleytables at gmail.com. Don't forget, tomorrow at the library is their Chinese calligraphy craft event. It's going on between 1 and 4 p.m. Learn how to make a symbol of good luck for the Chinese New Year. Supplies will be provided by the library. Again, that's 1 to 4 p.m. tomorrow at the Kodiak Public Library. Library hours are Mondays, Fridays, and Saturdays, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Tuesdays through Thursdays, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. But the library will be closed next Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. If you have anything to ask the librarians, call them up at 907-486-8686. The Kodiak Public Broadcasting Board of Directors will be having their regularly scheduled monthly meeting on Tuesday, January 17th at 6 p.m. at the KMXT Studios here at 620 Egan Way in Kodiak. The meeting is open to the public. It will also be available on Zoom if you'd like to sit in that way. For more information or to get the Zoom link, give us a call at the station at 907-486-3181. Upcoming meetings in the Kodiak Island Borough include... The January 18th meeting of the Solid Waste Advisory Board, that's happening in the Kodiak Fisheries Research Center at 5.15 p.m. Also on January 18th, the Planning and Zoning Commission will be having their regular meeting in the Borough Assembly Chambers at 6.30 p.m. And on January 18th, the Assembly and City Council will be having a joint work session in the Library's Multipurpose Room, all on January 18th. All meetings are open to the public, and the packets are available at the Kodiak Island Borough website. Contact the borough clerk's office with any questions at 907-486-9310. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 
4862733. Fax us at 4862733 or email psa at kmxt.org. Alaska Aerospace has closed access to Fossil Beach to ensure public safety while cleanup efforts take place. The land closure is anticipated to be in effect until Monday, January 16, 2023. Refer to the Pacific Spaceport Complex Alaska Hotline at 833-772-2321 for updates. That's 833-PSCA-321. Hello, Kodiak, and welcome to the January 13th edition of Island Byways. I'm Pam Foreman. From the chilly temps and beautiful hoarfrost of last weekend to fog and mist of this week, weather on this beautiful island is rarely boring. The dark, wet days can seem awfully dark and especially short this time of year, but they're the perfect kind of days to research and plan for adventures on better days. It's also a great time to clean your gear and mend anything that needs it. Whether you're a kayaker, golfer, sports fisher, hiker, backcountry skier, or camper, it seems like there's always something to be fixed when it comes to outdoor gear. Save those projects for dark, rainy days. And then, when the weather changes for the better, you and your gear are ready to go at a moment's notice. Because those spur-of-the-moment adventures are sometimes the very best adventures. You know how a year can seem like it lasts forever sometimes? Our years are calculated by the amount of time it takes an object to orbit the sun. Imagine if your orbit took somewhere in the vicinity of 50,000 Earth years. That's how long it takes the comet, nicknamed E3, to orbit the sun. How lucky we are that we'll have an opportunity to see it. In fact, if you have a telescope and clear skies, you should be able to see it in some detail already. With powerful binoculars, you may be able to at least see the comet as a greenish smudge. So how do you find a greenish smudge in the night sky? Either use a night sky app on your phone or go to the web and find the current location of the comet. Then get to the darkest place you can find and look to the northwestern sky. The comet is currently highest in the sky just before dawn. Good luck. And that's it for Island Byways this week. Have fun and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening.